Welcome to the Codifier Podcast. Codifier is a podcast about emerging trends and technologies with the aim to create bite-sized entertaining content for everyone from software developers to sales gurus to even your parents so that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. What are the three most common used passwords? Love, secret, and uh, sex. But not in that order necessarily, right? Yep, don't forget God. System operators love to use God. It's a whole male ego. Yeah, dude. This is Code of Fire, episode five. All about passwords. That was a clip from the movie Hackers from 1995. Doesn't feel dated at all. Top four passwords, according to them in 1995, were love, sex, secret, and God. Sounds a little bit too similar to... Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. And is probably about as effective as a list of passwords. So it's worth mentioning now that this podcast has two parts, and this is just part one. Turns out I had a lot to say about passwords and authentication generally. So the first part, I'm going to go through passwords, the history of them, good passwords, bad passwords, and some of the problems we, we have to suffer through today in establishing good passwords. I'm also going to talk about single sign-on mechanisms like what Facebook and Google and Twitter offer. And then the next one, I'm going to talk about password managers and multi-factor authentication and try and take it up a notch. Okay. All right. So here we go. Part one. And what's amazing is that one thing that hasn't changed since 1995 is that passwords are a gigantic pain in the ass. Now, uh, if this podcast is being inspected for profanity, I'd like to point out that the word ass was spelt with two dollar signs and not S's, so we're cool. But whose fault is all this? We need to, we need to point the finger of blame, and we can do that. There's an individual named Fernando Corbato, who is now 91 years old, but recently said in an interview with the Wall Street Journal that passwords have become, quote, kind of a nightmare. And he would know because he invented passwords way back in the 60s. And I think it's fair to say that he didn't anticipate, you know, that it would have got so out of hand. What's interesting about the, the movie quote I just gave you with the passwords being so simple, let's face it, love, sex, secret, and God aren't passwords that you would consider ever using nowadays. And what's amazing is that the word password itself didn't even make the list. Perhaps that was too long for the 1990s brain. But allow me to update you as of 2017 what the top 10 passwords are. Now, if your password's on this list, well, you know what to do. Here we go. At number 10, I love you, all one word. That's pretty close to the 1995 list. Number nine, football. What a surprise there, right? Number eight, and you're going to notice a trend here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. People actually use that as a password. Number seven, let me in, all one word. And you know what? I've worked on corporate sites where that has been a password, so I can, I can back that one up. Number six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Haha, that's extra digits. Number five, one, two, three, four, five. Interesting that that one came fifth. Number four, QWERTY. You can see why that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Number three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Get, catching the trend here. It's essentially the one, two, three, four, five of these passwords are essentially the same password. Number two, as expected, 
The word password. Awesome. And number one, not deserving a drum roll. One, two, three, four, five, six. Why six digits? Why not eight, nine, seven, or five? They're all in the top ten. Anyway, some new and notable ones that did show up in the top 25 but didn't quite make the top ten were Star Wars. Respect. That one came in at number 16. And Freedom at 22. I guess those are the Trump lovers out there. I think my favorite, though, is at number 19, and it's the word password again, except the O in word has been changed to a zero. Yeah, I guess a rather large number of people thought that changing that letter O to the number zero was a crackerjack defensive move. Splash Data is the company who creates this list every year, estimates that 10% of all people have a password in the top 25, and that 3% actually have the password 123456 somewhere in their world. Hey kids, pin numbers count, you know. What does surprise me is that there are still accounts out there that allow for such simple passwords to even exist. So we can only assume that many of these passwords are part of legacy account creation like really old Yahoo email accounts from a bygone era where you could use just about anything as a password. We all know now, though, that that is not the case, to a fault. A typical account creation or password replacement process often requires you to include at least one uppercase, one lowercase, one number, one special character like percent dollar star exclamation or any of the traditional cartoon swear word characters, which seem, seems quite fitting considering that's generally the reaction to having to make some sort of mad concoction of memorable patterns that complies with this ridiculous requirement. So we end up doing stupid things like taking the word password and putting a capital P, subbing the A for an at, at sign, using dollar signs for S's, maybe ending the thing with an exclamation point. And by the way, the exclamation point at the end of a word is the most common special character addition. So if you thought that was clever, I guess it's fair to say the current state of the internet wasn't quite a consideration when passwords first started. I mean, nowadays, the average internet user can have upwards of 100 to 150 different accounts across multiple services. Now you might be thinking, not me, but when was the last time you actually tallied up all your online accounts and identities? You might be surprised. Each service is now putting sufficient password restrictions in there specifically to force you away from that top 10 list above, but ensuring that you'll probably forget what your password is. Unless you have a system, a clever system. Typically, that clever system isn't so clever. It just involves taking those exact words we had above and then capitalizing the first letter, replacing some of the characters with their number or special character equivalent. Top uh, replacements would be the at sign for the A, the dollar sign for the S, the zero for the O, the three for the E, the one for the L, etc. The list isn't that long and is extremely predictable. Another popular technique is to make a password memorable but compliant by tacking the year on the end. Why not password 2017? Exclamation point. Or maybe maybe mix it up with password with an at sign for the A 2017. Yeah, those are secure. By the way, I'm not getting into pin numbers here, but it's worth mentioning that if you have a pin number that starts with either 19 or 20, it falls into the birth date range and you're probably actually in the top 25 pin numbers, so that's worth a rethink. 
The final straw in that enforced security we all have to deal with is, and this, this makes my blood steam a little bit, is when your workplace forces you to change your password every three months. Like it wasn't hard enough to remember the password that you came up with, but now you need the new one four times a year. And to make matters worse, it often remembers your old passwords and prevents you from using any of them, or the last 10 anyway. And it, and it can be infuriating. But as a result, we come up with another ingenious system, like adding an incrementing number. So password becomes password 01, and then 02, and then 03, and you get the picture. But what is the big deal with passwords anyway? Like, why isn't password 2017 perfectly fine? It's not in the top 100, and it's goofy enough that somebody isn't going to just guess it. But the real problem with easy passwords is more to do with the way they are stored and the extent to which internet bad guys will go to brute force guess it. So how are the passwords stored? Well, when you create a password for a new account, the password isn't stored as plain text. That would be terrible. A password is typically hashed into a bunch of gobbledygook. The common method for hashing is a highly secure method called SHA-256. Now, I'm not going to get into the detail that works, but it's sufficient to say it's a really good mechanism. Hash algorithms are one-way functions. Essentially, they turn your password into a huge, fixed-length code of alphanumeric junk. The point being, that bunch of junk cannot be reversed back into your password. A good hashing algorithm will also never produce a duplicate code known as a collision. Now, if you really want to geek out on this, I recommend going to the codeoffire.com website. And not just because I'm plugging the blog, but because I, uh, there are some aspects of this I can't say over a podcast over audio. For example, I can't tell you that the hash code for Codifier Rock, well, I could tell you that the hashtag for Codifier Rocks is 16B8089 blah, 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 but it's easier to look at it and see. And what I've done is I've also done the hash code for Codifier Rocks with a capital C. Now, there's only one minor change in a character, but the code that it's, is produced is entirely different. So the idea being to show you that if you can see a series of different codes generated from a series of very similar passwords, it still doesn't help you guess any password. So what happens when you log into a website? The backend verification system will take your password, perform the same hashing process it did when you created your account, and then it actually just compares the two hash codes to see if it's correct. And then you get to log in. Now this probably all sounds super safe, but getting back to the problem of using common words or systems like the one I mentioned earlier is that there are vast databases already existence that bad guys and to an extent some good guy researchers use to look up hash codes like the ones that I'm talking about. If you want an example of how that works, again, you can kind of geek out. You can go to the https colon slash slash crackstation.net. The link is also in the blog. This is an online service you can use to reverse engineer a hash code into a password. Now, it's not doing it mathematically. It's using huge lookup tables. Now, I've put a hash code into the blog and not told you what it is. If you wanted, you could go there. You could plug it into the crackstation.net website, and it would show you what password it looked up. And it's, it's surprising the depth of this database. Now, if you're really paranoid about your own password, you could... Go to another website, which I linked to in the blog, called Password Generator slash SHA-256 Hash Generator, and that's where I got the codes that I put on the website. You can put your own password in there, figure out what the hash is, and then take it to CrackStation, 
and look to see if you're in the bad guy database. You, that, that would require the more geeky of my listeners, but you can do it. Modern systems get around this lookup table mechanism using something called a salt, uh, and that prevents even the common passwords from falling victim to these massive lookup tables. A salt is where the account will take your chosen password, let's say you named it Fluffy, 2017 exclamation point after your wonderful dog and it will add a random bit of junk to the front so random junk fluffy 2017 might now be the password that it will hash and then it will store the salt which is called say random junk in plain text and the resulting hash now you might think well then they can reverse engineer the password but no they can't it sounds confusing but even with the hash code and the salt in plain text you still can't reverse engineer the password, and nor does that hash code appear in any common lists anymore, and you can still log in. It's pretty clever. I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that the bad guys out there, they're not guessing passwords. They're actually using the results of major data breaches to get hashed passwords, and many of those hashes come from older systems that were not created with that salt. And they can be run against this huge lookup table of thousands of hashed passwords to try and come up with ones that are now associated with your email address. Not only will they have the top 100 passwords for the past 20 years in their list, but they'll have every systematic character substitution you can think of as well. I suppose it makes sense to look at your password a bit like you do a key to your house. We don't trust people, so we lock the door. We don't use the same key for every door we own, and gone are the days of locks that can be picked or easily duplicated. Of course, I say that, but I live in the United Kingdom where it seems like a large percentage of keys here are still those old skeleton-type key things that maybe aren't as modern as they should be. Thanks for listening to Codifier Episode 5. This is a bit of a long one, so we're going to keep the middle break rather short and just say thanks for sharing. Last episode, I asked you to share the, the podcast with your friends, family, Facebook, and co-workers, and you've actually done it, so this is awesome. We're gaining listeners and we're gaining support, so thanks for listening. This is Episode 5, and back to Passwords. So I was just making fun of some of the keys that are still used in the United Kingdom that are a little bit outdated. Um, typically, though, we do provide good security for our most valued possessions. In many cases, we have a multi-factor defense. So not only do we have keys, but we have an alarm system, maybe some kind of cameras. And that's the same sort of attitude you should be applying to your online presence. So let's talk about what a good password looks like. Like, is there such a thing anymore? It's hard to tell because time seems to render all good ideas inert. And at the moment, it's hard to know, but the consensus seems to be trending towards more of a passphrase than a password. And even that's a bit of a misnomer, because it's not specifically intended to make any sense like a phrase would. It comes down to a series of about four to six words that don't make any contextual sense. So an example of this would be chocolate, paper, wagon, helicopter, sword, bacon. Now, while some of these words might exist even in the password lookup tables, hashes are created on the whole thing, making this, from the perspective of it just being a sequence of characters, quite unique. And it's easily memorable to humans, but difficult to guess for a machine. 
Some people even create acronyms to make it easier. For example, if I were to be a big fan of bacon, <laughs> hypothetical, of course, my passphrase might be, Bear asks cattle overnight. Bizarre enough to remember, and should I stumble, the word bacon is an easy reminder. There is a problem, though. Many astute password-checking systems still insist that you have a symbol, a number, a capital, blah, 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 and so on, turning your life back into that tiny little bit of password hell. Some don't allow spaces in the password. What can be useful in these circumstances is to simply try the same idea, but you can add some stock junk at the end, and it's still far more secure than what the world is currently doing at the, mo at the moment. So, Bear Asks Cattle Overnight can be Bear, with a capital B, acquires C4 overnight, or Bear-acquires-C4 over-night. That, that, that one just came off the top of my head and may not be the best password in the USA unless you want Homeland Security knocking on your door asking who the bear is and what they're planning to do with all the C4. But you get the idea. It's pretty easy to remember, and that certainly won't be guessable or present in any common password lookup table. There are alternatives to remembering a million passwords. Now, let's assume you've changed your Facebook password to something really smart like we just discovered above. There is another conundrum that services like Facebook, Twitter, and Google present to us fairly regularly, and that is something called Single Sign-On, or SSO. Many services, Spotify is a good example, offer you the opportunity to use one of these services as a way to sign in and create an account for their service. I asked myself whether I thought this was a good idea or a terrible idea. I mean, for starters, if I didn't have a sexy new password technique like what we just discussed, and someone could gain access to my Facebook, they could change my password, lock me out, and then also have access to everything I used Facebook to log into. That sounds bad. What's worse is that Facebook has a tendency on your mobile phone and even on your desktop to stay logged in for long periods of time. I know, I know many people who have been fraped. Not a big fan of that fairly vulgar term for where your friends find your phone unlocked, and post embarrassing Facebook messages on your behalf. All it would take is somebody who wasn't so nice to actually use that opportunity to change your password. And they could even leave your Facebook re-logged in on your device with your new password so that you'd not realize it had happened until Facebook logged you out. And that could be a quite, quite a long time in the future while they used your account details to explore and or exploit your life. There's another potential hazard to using a single sign-on mechanism, and that is the implied connectivity between the new service and using Facebook as an example again. Many services just throw up a list of permissions they require to operate like your contacts list. Some go a bit over the top with what they ask for, and we as users tend not to monitor what that is. In my last podcast about data breaches, I revealed that the number one source of data leakage is actually us. And this is an example of how we just give away personal data thoughtlessly without consideration for where it's going and what it's used for. Now, if you can remember this, Facebook path is https colon slash slash www.facebook.com, easy, slash settings, question mark, tab equals applications. Now, if you can't remember that, it's in the blog. But if you can go there, you'll find a list of applications using Facebook to log in. 
I was pretty surprised myself at some of the application permissions I had given, and some of them I don't even remember ever using. So it's worth taking a look and having a good clear out of things you've never heard of that, are, that still have access to your entire Facebook life, and some of the ones you might want to keep, but just make sure that you're only giving them the permissions that they really need. Now, even if you don't have a Twitter account, but you still want a service that does that single sign-on, I'd recommend just creating one, uh, even if you don't like Twitter. But not only is Twitter kind of a fun personal news feed that isn't as cluttered as Facebook, and it's simple, Twitter doesn't require you to give it that much information. If you are an active Twitter user or a tweeter, all posts that you put on Twitter are already publicly viewable. It's, it's, an, it's a public one-line blog, so you're not going to accidentally give any other service access to personal information that you considered only visible to your friends. While that is the safest route, I recommend alternatives. So this has been the first part of Codifier, episode five, passwords. We talked a little bit about what passwords are bad, what a good password should look like, and a little bit about how services like Facebook, Twitter, and Google can provide you with single sign-on services that can help you out with that process. I did say and end on a cliffhanger that there are better alternatives. Next time, when we do part two in two weeks, I'll dive into password managers and a variety of high-end hardware authentication to make sure that we've got not just one way of authenticating, but two or more ways of authenticating to make sure we are rock solid in our security. I'm Steve Jaguer. Thanks for listening to Codifier episode five, part one on passwords. Please check out our blog out at codifier.com for more exciting content, particularly to do with this particular show. And follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Codifier and on facebook.com slash codifier. See you soon.